0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, we have a fellow Texan and NBA legend joining the show. He was drafted into the NBA at age 19 and played 14 NBA seasons, even won a ring in two thousand eight. You have seen him on ESPN and NBC Sports. Yeah, you saw him up there, normally with Stephen A and Max Kellerman, talking crazy to them. Hey, he's ready to check in, but first, Darlene, let's run it.
1: Buckets, boards and blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Monica is a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a three in transition and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. King is a former 3-and-D Baylor baller whose idea of a good time is locking down the other team's best scorer. Monica, King, let's
0: do this. Welcome to Buckets, Boys & Blocks. I'm King McClure. My co-host Monica McNutt is taking some well-deserved time off because that woman has been working her tail off. She's been everywhere lately, but she's she's on a break. So it's just me this week, but... I got somebody to replace her. I got a very special guest, one of the realists on ESPN, doesn't hold his tongue, always keeps it a buck 50. Super cool dude. My guy, Kendrick Perkins, man. How you doing today? King, what's happening? Hey, look, I I appreciate y'all having me on.
1: I I haven't seen you or Monica since the slam dunk contest. (laughs) That was fun. Hey, excuse the background, man, but I'm in the hotel room right now. This is how I'm living it up. But look, I'm part of peer hoops. I'm I, hey, listen, I'm loving every
0: part of it right now. Hey, let's get it, man. Speaking of that dunk contest, that dunk contest was horrible, huh? Man, what? <laughs> but you know what? I, I
1: give them a lot of credit because, it, you know, they put forth the effort, right? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. The dunk contest was was bad. It was terrible. It was terrible. The three-point contest was pretty good though. yeah. yeah dunk contest, yeah. The dunk contest, she, I mean, I just felt like they could have had me in. <laughs>
0: hey, you, you probably would have won it, huh? <laughs> for sure, for sure. But let, let's jump into it. I mean, we got a lot, a lot of stuff to talk about, primarily NBA stuff. But, but you personally, your own personal journey, man, you came straight out of high school to mm-hmm. go to the NBA. How was that transition? man, you know what? It was different. Uh, And then, you know, the, the
1: culture wise, you know, off the court, it was different from, you know, I'm a a country boy from Beaumont, Texas and Beaumont is, is right on the border of Louisiana. So, you know, um, me going to a whole nother, you know, moving to the Northeast was different for me, food wise, personality wise, everything about it, especially as a, a youngster that's only 18 years old, right? Change of scenery. Well, you you used to certain type of restaurants where you go to, you know, every every corner, it's a Burger, Jack in the Box, Taco Bell. You got all this, right? And then you get up to Boston and there's none of that. It's the mom and pop pizza shops. You get introduced to food like clam chowder and you have no choice but to eat it when you've been accustomed to eating gumbo. You know what I mean? But. Yeah. On the basketball, basketball-wise, it wasn't that hard. You know why? Because, and I say this all the time, it depends on what organization you go to and the vets that you have on your team. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate to go to a team that had just went to the Eastern Conference Finals that had a lot of old heads on them. So you talk about guys like Eric Williams, Walter McCarty, Tony Delt, Antoine Walker, uh, uh, Eric Williams, you know, uh, it, it was Tony Batee and, and they were old heads. So each one of these guys were like eight years in. So when I got there, they embraced me with open arms. And it was only, you know, it was like they saw my work at this. So, you know, they started taking me under their wing and started showing me the do's and the don'ts of the NBA. And see, that's why I think it's so crucial when you look at, these young guys that are coming out now and you like, man, why that young guy didn't turn out the way he was supposed to be? Or why his career wasn't long? It's because of the organization. And by the way, Danny Ainge did a great job of embracing me and taking me under his wing and showing me the do's and the don'ts. So, you know, the transition wasn't that hard. Obviously my lifestyle changed, right? From growing up in, in my living with my grandparents on the farm to all of a sudden you you go to a, a pretty big city and then, and then all of a sudden you, you, you live in this lavish life. You stay in these fancy hotels, you riding on privates, you know, all this stuff is in the palm of your hands and your life changed overnight as a youngster. So uh, it wasn't that hard just because of the organization
0: and the vets that I had around. Yeah. So do you ever like look back and you're like, dang, I, I, I wish I would have went to college because there's so much that I could have learned like do you ever like have those I don't want to use the word regrets because I don't like the word regrets Do you ever have those thoughts of you know dang I, w- I should have went to college man to be honest you know
1: I hear the college stories and hell no. Nah. like I, I, I'm glad it was, I, hey look I made the right decision because <laughs> You you just never know. And I was going to Memphis with John Calipari. I had signed with uh, the Memphis Tigers. You know, that's what the school I was going to go to if I, you know, wasn't projected to, or, or didn't get, get a guarantee to go high in the draft. So, but I never have those regrets. I always wonder what the college life was about because you hear so many interesting stories about, man, college was this, college was that, but it's not like the NBA. I mean, you know, I know certain universities, you know, they have, you know, the better things in life for us. You know, they they might be riding private and, you know, the living situation is different. But when you talk about the NBA, man, you talking about, you know, shoot, starting your job, really a lifelong dream. And like KG say, we did go to college. Our college
0: was just called the University of Cash. (laughs) (laughs) So so I'm I'm assuming you are, you on that train that says, you know, these high school players, if they're good enough, they should be allowed to go straight to the NBA instead of having to do at least one year in college or, you know, wait till they turn 19 in order to enter their name.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, look, it's, it's no different than any other thing in the world, right? Any other job. Like, King, for example, I don't know, like, in your high school, how things were, but in my high school, you had certain situations where it was like, you know, you could – you could do things for us, like start prepping for college or taking college courses to say, if you wanted to be a, uh, you know, going to the mechanic world, like you know, as a, a as a guy that work on on vehicles and stuff like that, right? You could start early so that way. Because I have a friend of mine that started like a senior year, or so by the time he graduated, he was already, you know, making top dollar. He already knew what he wanted to do. So I'm like, it's no guidelines nowhere else in the world where you could start your career early. Long as you meet the criteria, right? For as, you know, you may have to have a degree. Some, Some areas you don't. So, you know what I mean? You could go work any other job. You could start working at the age of 16. So why stop someone from starting their livelihood early if they're ready? And if they want to go and they want to do it, who are you to tell them or who, are the, who is the world to tell them that they have to go through this situation first? Because I'm going to say this, all right? I watched when I, throughout my 14 years of being in the NBA, I watched guys who went one year of college, two years of college, three years of college, four years of college, coming to the NBA, and they still wasn't ready for NBA basketball. So my thing was, I always said this: not, nothing gets you ready for the NBA except for playing in the NBA. The entire game changes. Like you have to, hurt, you have to learn a whole nother style of play. You have to learn a whole nother style of physicality. Now they do have some rookies that come in and they're different, right? LeBron James, uh. Lamelo ball, but just even think about Lamelo Ball. He went overseas and played in one of one of the toughest leagues there is, right? So my whole thing when it comes down to that, let these young men be great. If they're if they want to come out and they want to start their career early, who are who are we or who am I or who are you or who are anybody in the world to tell them that they can't?
0: So you mentioned about rookies a little bit and that transition is not easy. However, there's been a few guys in the league this year who have been able to make the transition, but not just make it, but excel at it and stand out. I mean, when you look at rookie of the year, Anthony Edwards, LaMelo boy, yeah, LaMelo's been hurt, but his team is still on the borderline of making the playoffs. Who's the rookie of the year? You know what? Look, let me say this. Before LaMelo got hurt, it was a clear-cut
1: favorite, all right? but now Anthony Edwards is on his heels like a pair of socks, okay? And I'm telling you this right now. Last night, the man just dropped 42 points, King. The man just dropped 42 points. He's averaging around 18, 19 points a game. And look, when you look at the Minnesota Timberwolves, okay, they haven't had a full healthy roster all year long. Matter of fact, I think Since, you know, since D'Angelo Russell got there, Carl Anthony Towns and him only played like a total of about eight or nine games together, maybe 10. Uh, They've been without Malik Beasley. Let me tell you how good Anthony Edwards is, though. Anthony Edwards is so good that Ryan Saunders lost his job because he didn't insert him into the starting lineup and let him go, right? Mm -hmm. When Ryan Saunders was the head coach, he had Anthony. I mean, Anthony was coming in off the bench. Now I'm gonna say this about Lamelo Ball. This kid is a baby Magic Johnson, and I've been saying oh. this before, before the before it even started. Like you gotta understand, right? He has he has he has the look. He has the smile. He has the personality, but he has the game,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: Every single night, he is on TV for. At least he's good for three or four highlights passing wise, you know? And so when I look at it, I can't just say I could go with Lamelo or Anthony Elvis. I'm saying that they got to finish this damn season out. They got to finish it out. And whoever finishes, whoever finishes out the strongest, I think that's, who's going to win it. But when was the last time somebody like is, because I think with the rookie of the year, it could be a, a co-rookie of the year, might Mm. be both of them. I could see that happening. I could see it going, I could see
0: both of them winning co-rookie of the year. Mm. Is it just LaMelo and Anthony and then everything else is a drop off or is there anybody that could potentially sneak up on them and come in a close second, third? You know what? No
1: disrespect to uh, Halliburton from from the Kings, no disrespect to quickly. okay? But look, it's, it's them two. And then it's, it's a, it's a, it's a major drop off in between mm. them two have just, you know, for what they for what they have done in their NBA season, I don't think there's no other player that's coming close to them. When you talk about rookie of the year, Th- those two are the, you know, the guys that you talk about when you talk about rookies, like that are standing out, like, and, and people are, people are putting them in the same conversation with the word superstar. Mm. You got Peyton Pritchard out there. You do, you do. You have Peyton Pritchard, <laughs> P rabbit, and you have Ne Smith. Knee Smith only been playing a couple of games with Peyton Pritchard has been pretty consistent all year long and getting minutes, but it's still Anthony Edwards or Lamelo
0: ball. I think it might be co-rookie of mm. the year. I can, I, I can see that. And I, I definitely would have to agree. So, on Wednesday, you were on first take, right? And I saw that, right? You was with Stephen A. You gave your five terrifying players, the scary players. I want to run through that list with you. And te- I want you to tell me personally why right. these players are, 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 are scary, okay? Let's start with, with KD. I already know why, but I want to know from your opinion. Because if I correct me if I'm wrong, you played with them. Did you play with them? Mm-hmm. So. What makes Kevin Durant so scary?
1: Because you don't know how to guard him. And, mm. and, and this is a guy that could really, if he wanted to, he could lead the league in scoring every single year. All right, but here, here it is, King. The thing that people didn't catch is that we said right now, today, right? Like right now in the present, The last couple weeks, right now, the last couple days, not and because I got so much, I got so much heat about. Oh man, you didn't put Braun on there. No, Braun's been out for six weeks. Oh, you didn't put James Harden on there. No, James Harden has been out. We're talking about right now because that that list came off of came from Draymond Green's statement, right? His comment about Steph Curry. I got Kevin Durant on there because he's the greatest scorer of all time. Mm. He's the most efficient, prolific scorer this game has ever seen. He has zero flaws. So when you're in the film room and you're trying to prep on how to guard him, you're like, oh, yeah, man, we're going to send a double team. That's not working, right? Because we have multiple guys. This is how you know when you're a serious problem on the offensive end. When other players on other teams start praising you, like, you remember they had the classic interview with Lou Will and, and, and Patrick Beverly, and yeah. they asked the Clippers, they asked them, hey man, what happened? And they said, Kevin Durant happened. Now we're talking about Patrick Beverly, like one of the best wing guard defenders in the game today, right? This is this is how he makes his living on defending people. Then yesterday I see a quote from Anthony Davis, another defensive minded guy who could switch one through five and what he said about Kevin Durant? He's the toughest cover I ever had to guard. So, with that being said, it's like, how do you stop this man? And he's every team's worst nightmare when it comes to game planning to try to stop him because he could get buckets however, whenever, whenever he wants, because he's 7 1, great handles, great range, post up. I mean, I could go through a whole list of things that would take up the whole show. So that's
0: why he's my number one right now. Mm. So continue on to the list. You got my man, a light-skinned brother out there in Golden State. Yeah, with the he's green absolutely eyes. Absolutely. Torching people. Yeah. Steph yeah, like Curry. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What what,
1: what what are your thoughts on Steph Curry? Yeah, light-skinned brother with the green eyes. And you got to understand <laughs> this, right? This is why I say this. Because growing up, you know, we always had this thing where, you know, it was a light-skinned thing, you know, the, the females, the ladies were attracted to the light-skinned brothers. And yeah. then all of a sudden you have Maurice Chestnut, you know what I'm saying? You have Wesley Snipes to Michael Jordan, who who made, who made the dark skinned brothers vogue again. You see what I'm <laughs> saying? So, but anyway, when you look at Steph Curry, when you look at Steph Curry, I mean what he's doing right now. We're talking about a two-time MVP. All right. And where he's at right now in today's game, how can we sit up here and really say he's playing the best basketball of his career? We can, cause he is right. He's dominating. He's carrying this golden state warrior team. And when I think about it, you take Steph off this golden state warrior team that he's playing on right now. And they will be in the lottery. Remember without him, they get beat by 50 all of a sudden they're winning games, but He's another person that. How do you game plan for him? Like you, you try to say, oh, as soon as he cross half court or a little bit past half court, we go trap him. Well, you're too late because he could pull up from half court. Mm. Or you could say we're gonna trap him uh, when he when he soon like right at the half court line. We're gonna send a trap at him. Well, what would he do? He just don't bring the ball up because he's so great a plan of play, uh, uh, so great for his playing off the ball. So it's like he moves well without the ball. He, he has a quick release that no one could block, get shot, and he's an underrated finisher around the basket. So when I look at him, it's like, when you' game planning, it, it's like, what can you do? Let him get his and shut everybody else down? I mean, this is the greatest shooter of all time. That's
0: why he's number two on my list. Hmm. So you got the the seven foot freak. Yeah, light skinned brother out there that's shooting from half court. Yeah, so then we get mm-hmm. three, four, and five. I feel like those two are easily number one, number two. So you look at three, four, and five. And on your mm-hmm. list, you put Jokic and Bede and Westbrook. Who are you taking as number three scariest player right now? Russell Westbrook. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and and this is why I say that because. The way that Russell Westbrook is dominating the game, right? The Wizards are winners of their last 11 out of 14. And the two losses that they had, they lost by one point and it came down the game winning shots that wasn't Russell Westbrook fault, right? Mm-hmm. And even in their losses, he had 42, 10 and nine, right? Like mm-hmm. against Dallas. And then uh, the other night against Milwaukee, I think he had like maybe 30, 12, and 14 or something crazy like that. And he's dominating every aspect of the game. So when I think about Russell Westbrook, I kind of think about boxing. Because you think about his tenacity and what he brings to the game. And we think about a guy like Mike Tyson, right? The most ferocious boxer ever. No one will argue with that, right? No one. We even debated about that. He was the most ferocious, terrifying boxer ever. But was he the greatest boxer of all time? No, nah, he wasn't. But he was the he was the scariest. So that's how I look at Russell Westbrook. He might not be the most talented, the most skilled because of his shooting ability, but he's terrifying. Like when he get between those lines, he's ferocious. It's a reason Kobe Bryant blessed blessed him with that mamba mentality so when i look at what he's doing right now on the verge of averaging a triple double for his fourth time in his career and mm-hmm. passing up the great and passing up the great Oscar Robinson, he has to come number uh number number 3 on my list because look another thing the wizards were left for dead people was like you know what not real talk can't listen <laughs> people was talking about five Scott Brooks, free Bradley Bill, all this and another, right? And here we are saying, man, the Wizards are right there. Man, they about to get in this play in, and if they get in the play, in they get in the playoffs, well, it's going to be tough on anybody in the first round. And they showed us that against the Bucks. The Bucks had the scratch and claw their way out of their game the other night. So that's why I have Russell Westbrook at
0: number three. So continue on this Russell Westbrook train. Something that you taking some heat for. That you said recently, and I even kind of when I saw it, I kind of looked at you like, "What?" Uh, but, then, but when I thought about it, I was like, "All right, I can see where you're coming from. I, 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 I can respect the argument." You said that you would take Russell Westbrook's career over Allen Iverson's career. Why? I mean, because <clears throat>
1: <clears throat> we would never see another Russell Westbrook. Mm. All right, and and when you before I get into that, let me let me say this. When you look at their individual accolades, okay, Allen Iverson and Russell Westbrook, they're pretty much identical. When you yeah. look at their, their MVP awards, both of them won one. Both of them won two-time uh, – they're two-time MVP in the All-Star game, right? Both of them are. You look at their points, AI got 24,000, Russ got around 22,000, close to 22,000. He's probably going to catch AI when his career is all said and done, you know as long as he stay healthy. all right so when I, when I look at it and when I think about it, it goes back to the triple doubles. Mm. Oscar Robinson set a milestone 54 years ago. We never thought in the, we never thought that we would ever see another Oscar Robinson, right? We thought we like we was like it, it's no way possible that someone will be able to average a triple double. I mean, they playing seventy two games now, but in the regular NBA season, it's eighty two games for eighty two game season. Average a triple double, meaning that you got to go in night in and night out and get a triple double. That means you're dominating in points, you're scoring, you're making others around you better. So people think, oh, padding stats, getting assists. That's easy. That's not easy, because a lot of his assists, if you look, are assisted to people for layups. So that means he's drawing two or three and finding people right on time on target for easy buckets. And then you talk about the rebounding part at the PG position, King. Yeah, yeah. Like he's going in there rebounding amongst trees. Like this, we're talking about a six-three Russell, a, a, a six-three Russell Westbrook going in there and battling with guys that are 7172 so it wasn't no disrespect and this is why I think people you know uh think that it sounds crazy because when you think of AI the ultimate iconic culture figure but we're not talking about his influence off the court right we're talking about comparing them between those lines it's the difference. And yeah. so that's what I'm talking about. So when, when I said it, people was like, man, you tripping. Until you go do your homework and actually go pull up the stats and the resumes, and you're like, oh, I didn't even know that. Hey, I had one triple-double in his career. Really? One. Russell Westbrook got 179.
0: Hey. <laughs> hey. I, I, that's a lot. And I, and I agree with you, because like, I was one of those people. Like, when you said it. I was like, hmm, KP might be tripping. But as I did, as you 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 had the facts on there as to why, and I was like, well, it actually makes a whole lot of sense. But I guess my, my biggest question is like, why could AI and why why hasn't Russell Westbrook been able to get over that hump as far as winning? I, I why why do you think that is? Well, well, here it is, Kane, right? And I look at winning in like
1: two different aspects, right? You have two different aspects of winning. One part of winning is winning throughout the regular season and getting your team to the postseason, mm-hmm. right? They both did that. Now, when you look at certain situations of why they didn't never won a championship, sometimes you just don't have the personnel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, I can't really think back that far on AI personnel through numbers and say, well, he put up 50 this game but go look at the rest of his people numbers, right? But I could think back on Russell Westbrook and I can remember a time in Utah where it was a game six and a must need, right? It's game six, a must need. He has Paul George on his team. Russell Westbrook goes in there and gets 46 in Salt Lake City. Now his partner in crime, who's PG, goes two for 16 from the field. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So. Yeah. As the team sport, sometimes you can't help what others are bringing to the table. Just like a, a, a week ago, they were playing the Dallas Mavericks, and I'm watching the game, him and Luca going at it, right? The Wizards are up two with like 10 seconds to go. Luca is driving to the basket, not ahead of steam, but you know, like keeping somebody on his hip, just probing. Rui Hachamar leaves out of the strong side corner, something that you never supposed to do, right? And Luca hits Finney Smith, right? Finney Smith knocks down the three with like two seconds to go in the game. He knocks down the three, which put the mouths up one. And then they, to make the long story short, the Wizards end up losing by one. But you go look at Russell Westbrook's stat line and his numbers, he had 42, 10, and nine but that wasn't his fault. It was like, you know what I mean? Like Rui did yeah. this, Bradley Bill wasn't on. So sometimes you just don't have the players.
0: So do you think, in your opinion, do you think that that, that kind of taints somebody's greatness because they don't win a championship? See, and I hate that. And I hate that with a passion when it comes down to a team sport,
1: right? Yeah. This is not a, I think, I think having, you know, winning the NBA championship should help somebody's legacy. But it shouldn't define a player legacy. If that you, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah, yeah. and when I say that, not in a team sport, like this, this ain't boxing, this ain't tennis, this ain't golf. Well, you have to win a championship to define your legacy. And I think a lot of times we dig too too much into that and say, oh man, he didn't win a ring, so I'm gonna put such and such in front of him. No, that ain't cool. Because he may have all the individual accolades that he needs, you know what I'm saying, or or or, or have, and, and you go hold it against him just because he didn't win a championship. Like that, that right there is, is crazy to me
0: in a team sport. Hmm. Now I agree. So before we get off of this subject, we can't forget about number four and number five. We got Jokic. Yeah, the big fella. And B, the big fella is a position that you're familiar with. And I'm gonna ask this question to you like this. If you had to go against one of them, which one would you not want to see on the court? Neither one of them. (laughs)
1: Neither one of them. Look, here it is. Why? Because these are not your typical sinners, man. They're labeled as sinners, but they're not sinners. These guys are just seven, one, you know, 275 pound you know, point fours in my eyes, you, you know what I mean? They can handle the ball, they Euro stepping down the lane. They can shoot the trade ball. They got fadeaways over both shoulders. They got handles. They got everything you could imagine. And when you look at Jokic, who who comes in at number four on my list, all yeah. right? The great Greg Popovich a year ago called him the modern day Larry Bird. Now, when Oh wow! Yeah, when Pop said that, I said Pop is crazy as hell for this, right? Like you know, you know, and, and, and I love Pop. You talking about one of the greatest coaches of all time, if not the greatest coach? I think it's Phil Jackson. That's another story, right? So Pop says it, and at the time, you really don't see the the. the he, he you look at his numbers, you like okay, he's getting you twenty and ten. At the time, it was like it was like eighteen and and 10 and he was getting like four assists when Pop said it. Now you see it, right? Cause he's getting you 27 points a night, 10 and a half rebounds and he's averaging 8.8 assists a night. So you look at it and you like, oh, this is what Pop was talking about. He is the modern day Larry Bird because he's not athletic. He's not super fast. He's not fast, as off, fast, fast at all. But for some reason, every time you play Denver, it slows down or it seems like the pace of the game favors Jokic. So that goes to show me is that he's controlling the damn game. And his numbers look identical to some stuff that Larry Bird would, would do. Mm-hmm. So that's why he comes number four on my list because it's like, how can you really stop him? If you send a double team, he's throwing no looks over his shoulder right? He has post work. He probably have the, the best touch around the basket that I've seen in a long time as far as floaters and things to that nature. He has a trade ball. He can put the ball on the floor. He's great at getting to the free throw line. He's great at making free throws. He offensive rebounds. I'm like, okay, so how do you stop him? That's why he's terrifying. Like, dang, if we send a double team, he's too good of a passer. He's going to pick us apart if we play him straight up, he's gonna have 40 on us. So yeah. how can you stop him? Bam. MB. MB offensively and now defensively, he's the 275-pound version of a King one If you look at his footwork, if you look at everything, all his moves, you know, the way that he's able to get up and under, the way that he his ability to get to the uh to the uh foul line. But he, he has something unique to his game. I don't know. You know what? I'm not going to say this because a king could have done a euro stuff if it was popular back then. But you see you see him be euro and down the lane. And then you go to the other side, and he's at the top of the choice when you talk about when you start pulling out all these analytics, right? I'm not a numbers guy when it comes to that. But when you talk about defensive uh, production, He's at the top of the charts when it comes to rankings, like protecting the basket and not getting scored on and switching out and guarding their opponent, all that stuff that I don't deal with. He's at the top of it. So I'm looking at I'm like, damn, he's playing both ends of the floor. And this Philadelphia 76 team is the top five defense in the NBA. So my thing is, is not only Joel and B over here giving you 29 and 10 a night on 50% shooting, he's doing it on the other end as well. And think about it, 50% shooting, you will be like, oh man, he's a big man, He's supposed to be around 55%. No, you have to realize that he's taking a lot of contested tools, guys are trapping him, he's fading and turning around over the double team with two hands in his face, like, that's a pretty good percentage to say the amount of touches he gets, and the attention that he gets on a night-to-night basis.
0: Nah, that's big facts. I would not want to see neither one of them down low. I so, don't. <laughs> looking at your sweatshirt, man, the team you play for your C's, and we got to talk about them because Bruce is a huge Celtics fan. <laughs> Bruce, shout out to Bruce, shout man. Shout out to Bruce, man. So how would you <laughs> define the Celtics season so far?
1: You know what? It's been it's been an emotional roller coaster mm. because the Celtics and, and look, a lot of teams have been impacted for us with injuries and and the COVID situation, right? But no team has been impacted uh, with the COVID situation like the Boston Celtics. Mm. Like you know, Jason Tatum was out with with, with COVID. He came out and said that. He had COVID, and it took him still, when he got back on the court, it took him three weeks just to feel the same. Like, he was still feeling symptoms. Like, we just heard Evan Fournier just talk about it, saying it's times that he'd be feeling like he got a concussion. You know what I mean? Like, he said that, Kimber, his health, right? So, it's been the emotional roller coaster, but here it is. They still in pretty good position to control their own destiny. Right, and I and I and I'm gonna say this, Jason Tatum over the last two or three weeks has taken a tremendous leap to superstar. Yeah, because everyone had been putting his name in the same conversation with Luca, with with Zion, and and all these other young talented players. And I call Jason Tatum out, but not in a bad way. It's just because. I expected him, I expect more out of him. I'm one of his biggest fans. I was the one saying the Celtics need to sign him to a Patrick Mahomes lifetime deal, basically, because mm-hmm. he's that talented. Yeah, He could get his average, which he, he averaged 25 a night. He could get that in his sleep, King. Like, I want to see some historical stuff. And he did just that. I think dropping 50 fold and turn around, dropping the 60 piece, you know, just doing what he, he needs to do. And then you look at Jalen Brown, right? One of the most underappreciated guys in the game today who, who, who game has evolved, right? And it wasn't no knock on Gordon Haywood, but I couldn't wait for Gordon Haywood to move aside because if you go back and look into the bubble last year, follow my drill. Jalen Brown really was the most consistent player on the Celtics team last year in the bubble when they went to the Eastern Conference on both ends of the floor, and he was the fourth option. They wasn't even running plays for him. Like, he was behind Kimber, JT, and and, and Gordon Hayward. So I'm looking at this Celtic team. It was a, it's, it's been an emotional roller coaster. But guess what? They right where they could control their own destiny and get maybe in the fourth slot and get into the playoffs without having to be in the play-in
0: tournament. So do you see the Celtics potentially making it out of the East? If, oh. Who would you take to go out the East? Come out the East. Well,
1: look, King, don't push it, okay? I'm I'm a diehard <laughs> Celtic fan for life, but don't push it today. All right. Don't push it. <laughs> I do not, and I respectfully say this, I do not see them coming out of the east because I'm just looking at their experience, right? Yeah. And I get it, right? You have you have Marcus Smart. You have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Kimber, and Tristan Thompson. But when you start to think about Rob Williams and although Peyton Pritchard been playing well all season, Smith, Grant Williams, like those guys haven't really been in the moment. And when you look at the East and you look at the bullies that are in the East, right, the Nets, obviously, and then you look at the 76ers who is low, they are loaded. Okay, they are loaded. We hear a lot about M.B. and, and, you know, Ben Simmons and his defense. But when you think about Tobias Harris, Self Curry, Shake Milton, uh, uh, Tyrese Maxey. Thank you, preach. (laughs) Tyrese uh, Maxey. Matisse Tybos, right? A wing defender. You still got Danny Green. The White Howard. The White Howard still comes in as a backup center to M.B., and you look up and he be having like 19 and eight. And you like, what? Or he be having 12 and 10. You like, how in the hell do he have a double-double? They don't even play at the same time. So I'm looking at their leadership over there and I really got Philly to come out of the East. Mm-hmm. I think the Bucks have been showing us some of late. Uh, I love the addition of Drew Holiday. I just wanna, I just like Giannis is starting to shoot the uh, trade ball. But I don't I, I need to see it when it matters the most. Because with the Bucks, we've seen this story before, right? Where they dominated the regular season. And when it's when it gets to the, the time where it matters the most in the postseason, they come up short, right? We get that. But I got a feeling Doc Rivers has these guys being stars in their role. Mm-hmm. They rank top five defensively because they have a guy by the name of Dave Yeager, right? Dave Yeager was a guy that was the head coach at Memphis when it was, you know, when it was Zebo and Marcus All and Tony Allen. You remember, they was one of the better defensive teams in the game. Yeah, And so when I look at Doc, Doc is a great offensive-minded coach. But when you add Coach Dave to the mix, it gives me that combination of Doc Rivers and Tom Thibodeau in 2008. So mm-hmm. I got the 76ers. Because they've been playing the most consistent basketball, I think I would never knock KD. Because you know KD is KD, but I just don't know what Kyrie Irving. Sometimes I don't know where his mind be. We all know that he's a hell of a talent, but he just drifts off, right? And then we don't know the health of James Harden. Like people could say, "Yeah, man, James gonna be back," and this, that, and the other. But you know, like I know, King. It, it, look, being hurt. It takes time. When you get back, Yeah. some, some, some people it may take them five games. Some people it take 10. Some people it take 15. You don't have that time on your side no more. So I got Philly coming out of the East. That's
0: my pick. Uh, for sure. It's kind of crazy how last year in the bubble, we were knocking Doc Rivers for what he did with the Clippers and blaming it on Doc Rivers. Like, Doc Rivers just couldn't coach. But then turn around and go to Philadelphia it has their team, number one in the East, potentially could have win an NBA championship. That's just crazy how you put the blame on there. but we're not gonna go there right now. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we talked about the East. Now who do you have coming out the West? So give me your NBA finals preview.
1: Hey King, you you really put me on the spot today. <laughs> and, and to be honest, I'm gonna keep it all the way real with you. Yeah. I thought the Clippers were the favorite because LeBron being hurt, Anthony Davis. You know, let me say this. LeBron's a uh, uh, 100% healthy LeBron James like we saw last year along with Anthony Davis. I got the Lakers, but mm. they're not there. So who's next in line? You would think it would be the Clippers, right? But it's something about them that throws me the hell off. And I just picked them. I said, you know what? I'm i gonna pick the Clippers, man. And, and, and because I'm looking at their personnel and I said that the only thing that they were missing was a floor general and they went and got John Rondo, right? So I'm like, all right, they start winning. And then all of a sudden they just hit this like, this rough patch at the wrong time. Like right now, you don't want to be losing games or struggling to win games if you're a contender team, you wanna be playing some of your best basketball. And to me, it just seems off. I don't know why. I don't see, I don't see them co- the camaraderie there. I don't see the the jumping up and down the, the emotions for one another. So that bothers me. And then you got Portland, who I think got everything they need that could probably come out of the West. You have the jazz who got everything that they need personnel who probably could come out of the West. And you have have the Phoenix Suns Mm. who are deep as well. So it's like Denver Nuggets, if they had Jamal Murray, I could say, okay, cool. They could possibly come out of the West, but I think without Jamal Murray, it's gonna hurt them sooner or later. But right now, to be honest, I think the West is really up for grabs, bro. Mm. I got Philly, that's my pick to come out of the East, right? But out of the West, I mean, I'm leaning towards the Clippers. I would love to see Doc Rivers and T. Lou, Paul George, and Doc Rivers, they love beef and animosity, them go with it in the finals. But the Clippers, man, I mean, it's like, every day, man, it's like, you know, it's, it's dealing with, you know, dealing with my wife. You just don't know, like, if she mad, what she mad for, like, the emotions, I don't know.
0: Hey, I, I, I like the comparison there. Can't can't relate because I'm not married. we married, but I like the comparison right there. So I'm gonna continue to put you on the spot. Let's go. The biggest question. You kind of took a little flack on this too on Twitter. They said who's the MVP, and you didn't choose Jokic. So who is your MVP in the 2021 or 2020 2021 season? Can you know what you know what bothers me? is
1: that when someone else give an opinion, everybody got a problem with it. Just look, the crazy thing is, is this. It's not like I'm knocking Jokic. If Jokic win it, I'll be like, no, that was well-deserved. Like I would give him his credit and say, well-deserved. He is in the conversation. But when they say, oh, he just running away with it, it's not even a debate no more. And I had to put up some numbers last night. Like Jokic had thirty-three and twelve or eleven. Joe M B had thirty-four and twelve too last night. Like that. Like it's right there. But when you talk about MVP, I think about a team. And if you take this player off the team, where would this team be, or what would it? What was this team
0: before this player got there? And it's CP three. Man, I tried to tell Ryan Hollins and Monica this, but they didn't want to listen. Continue. Keep keep, keep going. Bro, think about this. The Phoenix Suns, okay? And I've
1: repeated this several times, and I'm going to repeat this to you again, King. The Phoenix Suns hadn't been in the playoffs since 2010. We are in 2021. So that's 11 years ago, over a decade. That's the first thing. Chris Paul goes there, okay? No, second thing is, is that they say, oh, well, CP3 got Devin Booker and he's averaging this. He averaged these same type of numbers the last three years and they wasn't in the playoffs. Okay, cool, I'm not knocking D book. I love him, I think his future is bright. Then you look at the situation. Not only are they in the playoffs or they made the playoffs, well, they could possibly end up with the best record in the NBA. Not in the in the Western Conference, in the NBA. So I look back at their organization, and I said, the last time the Phoenix Suns had the best record in the league, a player off their team won the MVP award. Hmm. Steve Nash. Steve Nash averaged 18 and 11. When Kobe Bryant was in in uh L.A. at the time, and there's no knock on nobody. I, I respect every player, but Kobe Bryant was in L.A. Steve Nash had Amari Mario Stoudemire, Joe Johnson, uh Shawn Marion. Like he had some weapons around him. I'm not not I'm not downplaying his career. Okay, yeah, he he got it well deserved. Proud of you, Steve Nash. Kobe was averaging 35. Kobe oh. Listen, Kobe was averaging thirty. He averaged thirty-five. One of those years, Steve Nash won the MVP. Oh, right. <laughs> he, had, he, he had Kwame Brown. He had Sasa right? Like you, you, like okay. So I'm not even about to go there with the personnel. My point is, is this with Chris with CP3, same organization. Same position, same regular season results. Mm. So, so like that's what I'm saying. So, how 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 does the goalpost move when last year with Giannis it was PR, the Bucks got the best record in the NBA? This is why he won. Every every single the la- the only time, the last time someone won the MVP that they didn't have the best record in the NBA was Russell Westbrook, because he averaged a triple-double. But what I'm saying is, is that CP3 is averaging close to 17 points a game, all right? And a right around, at nine assists a game. And I just don't understand how is the goalpost moving when it comes down to CP3 and the situation with Steve Nash. And then Max, let me tell you about Max (laughs) Kellerman. He tries to tell me yesterday, they was wrong when they voted Steve Nash that year for the MVP. And and I said, so does that make it does so you go hold that against CP3? Well, they I mean, if you want to be wrong again. No, it ain't wrong. It's just what it was at the time. Like, right? and what it was, your impact on that organization and winning, bro. So CP3 in my eyes is my MVP. I wouldn't be mad if Jokic won it. I would say, man, well deserved especially as a former big man. But I just think CP3 deserved the MVP.
0: I agree 110%. I made the same argument. I said, if you take CP3 off of this team and look at his impact, because last year they did not make the playoffs, just off that alone, you go from a, not a playoff team to potentially the best in the West and maybe the best in the whole league, there's no doubt about it, the MVP. But look, before we wrap it up... look a, You ever been to First Street Baptist Church
1: <laughs> when, <you> get, yeah. <laughs> when it get hot enough, all the all the people start raising a fan.
0: Yeah, when the preacher preaching the
1: gospel, you preaching right now. That's how it goes on.
0: yeah for sure. Before we end the show, look, that's how we end the show. It's called buckets, boys, and blocks. All right. There's three topics. There's a bucket. A bucket is something that you want more of, kind of like a bucket. You know, so you want more buckets. There's a block, something that you just want to get rid of. You don't want any part of. it. Okay. And there's a board which is kind of like a rebound. Like at first at first glance, it really doesn't have much value. But you look at the stats and you're like, oh, okay. Like Russell Westbrook. Like, oh, I had 10 rebounds too? Yeah, give me more of that too. So the topic is this NBA season. I'm going to let you choose what category you want to go with. But the general topic is this NBA season. mm. So bucket, okay,
1: I got that. Rebounds, blocks is something that we want to get rid of. Um, you know what? I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with blocks. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm gonna go with blocks. Let's go. So something that I would love to get rid of is the fines in the NBA for technical files okay that's what i would love to get rid of i would love to block that and make that go away all right because here's why king the game is played off emotions okay and referees come in the game and to me they should have a better understanding that guys are competing okay so when you're competing out there but and this is your livelihood Nothing is gonna come off as a soft friendly uh approach. So you man, you can't be in the heat of the moment going at it, talking noise. You know, it's great for the game. We're in the moment, we're showing passion. Somebody blow a call and and they don't expect us to react like man, come on, man, that's crazy. And yeah. you get a tech for that, right? Nah, because so it, it and you get a tech and you get fine, so you cost some players money but you want them to play with passion. But then the referees want you to come up and and, and calm down. They want you to be in the flow of the game, be in the moment. And when you have a complaint about a call they just made that was probably bad and they were probably wrong, and they want you to come and say, hey, man, what what did I do wrong? Like, no, no, dog, we're not about to do that. So to me, I think the suspension rule on technical fouls need to be cut out. You know what I mean? And the fines. That's two things in the same category that I want to block, man, because it's, it's out of control. Like, you know, if if somebody get a tech, the only penalty a tech should do is get the person get the other team extra free throw. That's the penalty, not penalize somebody pockets because they playing with passion or they act off emotion. It's nothing personal that they got with the ref like, And I get it. If it's a fight or something to that nature, yeah. But off emotions, you know, or whatever the case may be, throw away the fines. Like, you shouldn't be fining a player $1,500 for the first six takes, and after that, it goes up to $2,500 to
0: three grand. Like, come on, man. What are we doing right now? So I would like to block that all together. Hey, I heard you, Big Preck. I made the argument the other day that we need more referees who've actually played the game. Cause if we had more refs that actually played the game, we would eliminate a lot of this nonsense and a lot of that stuff that we see that goes on right now. Yeah, there, for sure.
1: No, that's what I'm saying, King. Like you, like when you competed, you compete, man. You 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 get between those lines, man. Hey, look, it, it's a competition. You can't yeah. expect like I, I just don't get it, but that's what I would like to see. The fines forever go go away for technical fouls, like. Oh, like you can't be finding somebody for technical files. Like that's ridiculous to me.
0: Nah, for sure, for sure. But look, big prick. I want to thank you for being on the show, taking the time to kick it with me, and uh, join Buckets Boys and Blocks, man. I appreciate you, man. Hey, 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 hey look, King. I appreciate you Appreciate
1: you having me on. Shout out to Monica, you know what I'm saying? I know she been busy. She she probably had to do the jump today so she couldn't come <laughs> on with Big Perk. Tell her it's cool, tell her it's cool. I'll be back when y'all invite me again, but I appreciate it, my
0: brother. Keep up the good work, appreciate you having me. For sure, for sure.
1: That was dope.
0: <laughs> okay, you know how we end, it's time to wrap up. Thanks to our guest, Kendrick Perkins and our great producer, Bruce Bernstein. Thanks also to our editor, Kristen Woolley. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops media shows. Mike Wise has a new show each Monday. His guest this week is Perk's teammate, Brian, or oh, TV teammate, my bad. And I think he did play with, 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 with Perk, too, with the Celtics. Um, he, to- he totally did. He totally did. Cool. I'm too young for that. Anyways, Brian Scalabrini, who is never short of opinions, full court with Fisher and K has the best in college hoops. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is here on Wednesday. This week, Aaron and Otto welcomed Law Murray of The Athletic, who covers the LA Clippers beat. Monica McNutt and I have buckets, voids and blocks on Thursday, and the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman is here every Friday.
1: All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. All
0: right, I know you're probably tired of hearing this, So we'll keep it short. Go get the vaccine when you can. I'm vaccinated. Please go get the vaccine. Protect yourself and others. And when you see a nurse, doctor, teacher, or frontline worker, thank them because they are the true heroes and stay safe. Monica, we'll see you next week. But something that I've always wanted to do (laughs) until we see you again. Enjoy your hoops.
1: Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.
0: Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love.